Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A new chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. President Biden is reportedly planning to make the nomination soon, replacing General Mark Milley. Milley is not the only one to go. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky is leaving her post too, according to Biden and the agency itself. We hear from the author of Liberty or Lockdown on this and the latest pandemic policy developments. The Biden administration outlining plans to deal with the end of Title 42. They say they're prepared for the anticipated influx of illegal border crossers. The embattled city attorney for St. Louis has resigned. Kim Gardner was accused of not doing her job. She received backing from billionaire financier George Soros. And we'll take you to a boat show in San Francisco Bay where enthusiasts come to check out the latest models and equipment. President Biden is expected to nominate a replacement for General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Milley's four-year term is set to end in September. Multiple media outlets are reporting that Air Force General C.Q. Brown Jr. is set to be the next chairman. That is, if the Senate confirms him. The White House hasn't confirmed the nomination, but reportedly told Politico that Biden will inform the public once he makes a final decision. Brown is a career fighter pilot with more than 3,000 hours of flight time and command experience. He's been widely viewed as the frontrunner to replace Milley. That's as the Pentagon shifts from preparing for land wars to deterring a potential future conflict with Beijing. And another major departure, this time in the public health sector. Dr. Rochelle Walensky is leaving her post as the director of the CDC. The CDC and President Biden made the announcement earlier today. Walensky's last day with the agency is set for June 30th. She has served as the CDC director since day one of Biden's presidency. In a statement, Biden thanked her for leading, quote, a complex organization on the front lines of a once-in-a-generation pandemic. It's currently not clear why Walensky is stepping down, and it's also not yet clear who will succeed her. And also in health news, COVID-19 is officially no longer a global health emergency. The World Health Organization made that designation this morning. COVID has changed our world, and it has changed us. That's the way it should be. If we all go back to how things were before COVID-19, we will have failed to learn our lessons, and we will have failed future generations. The WHO's International Health Regulations Emergency Committee met yesterday. The director general said the virus's downward trend for more than a year has allowed most countries to return to normal life. The WHO declared COVID a public health emergency of international concern in January 2020. The United States is set to end its COVID public health emergency on May 11th. And the CDC said today that it would stop reporting or monitoring COVID case data and transmission rates after the government ends the pandemic's public health emergency designation next week. What do these developments indicate about the state of our world today? Earlier today, I spoke with Jeffrey Tucker, Brownstone Institute president, Epic Times senior columnist, and author of Liberty or Lockdown, 
for a closer look at post-pandemic policies, both locally and abroad, also in light of the WHO's ongoing negotiations on its global pandemic accord. Let's see that now. Jeffrey Tucker, welcome back. Great to have you on. Oh, nice to be here. Thank you. Now, the global and national COVID emergencies are officially over. Hmm. But is there anything that we still need to be aware of? Are we back to normal or is there any kind of threat still lingering on? Yeah, we're nowhere near back to normal, unfortunately, because uh, uh, under the guise of COVID controls and pandemic controls, we saw the biggest explosion in sort of ruling class, administrative state uh, uh, size and growth uh, over the entire planet Earth that we've seen, you know, since the since the Magna Carta. You know, so uh, and 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 so for for, for an entire generation of rulers, uh, COVID was their high watermark, and they are desperately preserving their powers. And what kinds of things are you seeing that are remaining? What are the lingering marks of this pandemic? Uh, yeah, well, the World Health Organization is still demanding, you know, a new agency that will exercise, you know, totalitarian control over the planet Earth. There's still all in with this. The CDC is still, despite Ro Rochelle Walensky's resignation uh, a few minutes ago, the CDC still claims that it has the, the right to mask you up anytime it wants, it wants to work with the World Health Organization. In other words, all the bureaucrats who did this to us are still extant and still uh, bragging about their great achievements. So uh, it's a serious issue. We need uh, dramatic changes in every area of life so that this doesn't happen again. And, and what and exactly I would like, should we do? Well, uh, we, <laughs> well, I would like to see a return to uh, basic principles, like constitutional government and a guarantee of equal freedom, which is the essential postulate of Western society as it emerged over centuries. We need to reclaim those. You know, let's not forget that it was very recently that we were segregated into essential, unessential, uh, vaccinated, unvaccinated. Even surgeries were demarcated by elective versus, you know, uh, emergency. I mean, it would flew in the face of all of our values. We don't believe in CCP-style social uh, political controls in this country, and we cannot, and we will not. And we need to figure out why this why this briefly happened to us. Well, over three years. But let's celebrate today for the end, at least, of the first stage of our struggle. Thanks so much, Jeffrey Tucker. Great to have you on. Okay, it's such a pleasure. Thank you. A surge in illegal immigrants is expected as Title 42 ends next week. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas today says the Biden administration is ready to deal with it. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas on Friday outlined the Biden administration's plan to address an expected surge in illegal immigrants. In a press briefing given at the border town of Brownsville, Texas, Mayorkas said the administration has been preparing for over a year. So we've been preparing for quite some time, and we are ready. What we are expecting is indeed a, a surge, um, and what we are doing is planning for different levels of a surge. Mayorkas said the anticipated uptick in border crossings would be extremely challenging, but noted that the administration is building lawful pathways for people who qualify for asylum. 
Some Republican lawmakers are concerned that the policies are more focused on helping people enter the country. The message is very clear. We are coming with the relief that our laws provide to the individuals in need. The border is not open. It has not been open, and it will not be open subsequent to May 11th. Trump administration established Title 42 as a health measure to turn away illegal immigrants amid the COVID-19 pandemic. The Biden administration has also used it, but now plans to finalize a new regulation by the time it ends on May 11th. The new measure would deny asylum to people who passed through another country en route to the U.S. without seeking protection and those who are caught crossing the border illegally. This is a regional challenge that requires regional solutions. It is not unique to the southern border of the United States, and I've spoken about this before. The Department of Homeland Security previously released a six-pillar plan on their operations post-Title 42. The plan includes setting up additional facilities along the border to process immigrants, bolstering transportation, and leaning on a fast-track deportation process known as expedited removal. Critics say that similar policy has allowed for so many exceptions that it's not effective, and that slow processing means that illegal immigrants are actually remaining in the country. And while the Biden administration plans to deal with the expected border surge, a group of senators is proposing a different approach. They've introduced a bill that would allow immigration officials to continue expelling illegal immigrants after Title 42 ends. NTD Sam Wong has the latest. On Thursday, a group of senators pitched a bill that would allow the U.S. to continue deporting illegal immigrants after Title 42 ends. North Carolina Republican Tom Tillis introduced the bill with Arizona independent Kirsten Cinema. Tillis said he's doing so due to a lack of confidence in the Biden administration's plan to handle the expected increase in migration at the southern border when Title 42 ends. Tillis told NTD's Melina Weiscott back in March that the current asylum system is being abused. Just look at the raw numbers. 80% of the asylum claims, when they're adjudicated, by a Democrat judge, an independent judge, or a Republican judge are judged not to have sufficient claim for asylum, 80 percent. And that number hasn't changed substantially for years. He also told NTD. I've been working on a framework. Foundation of that uh, framework has to be border security, has to be addressing asylum reform, has to be addressing uh, orderly um, entry into the country. The new proposal was co-sponsored by Senators Joe Manchin and John Cornyn. Manchin said in a tweet that the Biden administration has failed to properly secure our southern border. The House GOP has also proposed legislation calling for asylum reform, construction of a border wall, and additional border personnel. Sam Wong, NTD News, New York. Now, now to the latest on the war in Ukraine. In a sudden and dramatic announcement today, the head of Russia's Wagner mercenaries says he'll pull his forces out of Bakhmut. We are going to capture Bakhmut by May 9, 2023. However, having seen this, the pseudo-military bureaucrats practically stopped the supply of ammunition to prevent us from doing that. The head of the Wagner Group said they are pulling back because of heavy losses and inadequate ammunition supplies. He asked Russian defense chiefs to use regular army troops in their place. In an earlier video, the head of the Wagner force blasted Russian defense officials for lack of ammunitions. The Wagner mercenary force has been trying to take the Ukrainian city of Bakhmut since last summer. 
The city of 70,000 has seen the longest and bloodiest battle during the war. And here to discuss these developments with me is retired Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Gobb, an international military strategist and the co-founder and director of Restore Liberty. I spoke with him earlier today. Darren, thanks so much for coming on. Great to have you with us. Now, the latest news of Wagner Group threatening to pull out of Bakhmut. How do you see this? Yes, Jeff, thanks so much for having me on. And uh, when I first saw that, my first question was, one, is what uh, Yevgeny is saying true about shortages of ammunition and the reasons why he might pull out of this conflict? It is possible that it is. But my, that was, I will tell you, that was my first gut reaction. My second reaction was that uh, this is really indicative of what uh, I saw from the beginning, which was eventually this was going to turn into a war of logistics and willpower, like two exhausted boxers at the end of a match trying to figure out who can land the final blow that would that would settle, settle everything. But uh, if the Wagner Group were to walk away from this conflict in Bakhmut, that would uh, be a pretty significant thing for the world to see. You know, if the allegations are true and, you know, Russia really is so short on ammunition, what does that indicate about the possible end of the war? Well, uh, I guess we could all hope that that would actually indicate a, a, an end of the war and the ability to, to come to a peace table and settle this thing in some other way than, uh, than you know, the more, than the more violent means. But... Um, Ukraine is also short in ammunition. Ukraine is also running out of people. Uh, they're on the offense now, which is a lot harder to do. But this is one of the first times I've seen something that I thought could truly change the end of the war as far as how fast it comes, if true. I don't see either side of this conflict really being able to last through this summer. Uh, Ukraine's been pushed into an offense a lot earlier than it really probably wanted to be um, for a lot of different reasons. And uh, Russia could simply run out of gas. So how do you expect Russia to respond to these demands? Well, you know, the simple answer would be they respond with the logistics, the ammunition that's been requested, uh, if it's able to be shipped to them in the first place. It may not exist. And so the problem may be much bigger than just uh, the Wagner Group. Uh, my concern is if this leads to the group walking away, Russia seeing that uh, their odds of winning are even significantly reduced, what does it mean for Putin in response on a grander scale than just to the Wagner group itself? Uh, but he's not known for uh, timidity, and nor is he known for the willingness to surrender once he started something. And he could go anywhere with this, and that, that is of concern. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gobb. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Steph, for having me on today. Coming up, Kim Gardner, a city attorney for St. Louis, is stepping down. The state's attorney general accused her of failing her duty and has been trying to oust her. And a love of boating is going strong in California. NTD hears from enthusiasts at a San Francisco Bay Boat Show. Stay tuned for more here on NTD News. Welcome back. More details have come out about the man who was choked to death on the subway train. 
An NYPD spokesperson told Newsweek that he had 42 prior arrests. NTD's Jason Perry has the update. And just a quick warning, footage in this report may be disturbing to some viewers. On Monday, witnesses say an unruly subway passenger began yelling on the train. A Marine veteran then grabbed him from behind and put him in a chokehold and took his life. The man who died was Jordan Neely, and he was known for impersonating Michael Jackson. And new details have emerged about Neely's criminal history. A New York City spokesperson told Newsweek that Neely had 42 prior arrests dating between 2013 and 2021. Four of them were for alleged assault, while others involved accusations of transit fraud and criminal trespass. Local media reported the 24-year-old former Marine was questioned by police and released on Monday. A friend of Neely said this about the way he died. I refuse to believe that the Marines are represented by people who would do something like this. And Jesse Waters on Fox News said he had heard from a lot of women who ride the subway in New York City. And they're not saying, I'm glad this guy died. They said, finally, a man stepped up in the subway and protected us. There's been a lot of mixed feelings over the incident on the subway. So we talked to some people in the area to see if they actually feel safe riding the subway. Do you feel safe riding the subway? Moderately. Yeah, man, we need a little changes to the subways, you know, a little improvement, not too crazy where, I, where it looks like we got a justice system on our, on our MTA. You know, we don't need that, but, you know, a little improvement is good. I still think the subways are very safe, and everybody should use that mode of transportation. The city has done a great job with it. The Manhattan District Attorney has not announced any charges against the Marine veteran who killed Neely. Jason Perry, NTD News. And in news from another major city, the George Soros-backed circuit attorney for St. Louis will resign June 1st following a push to remove her from office. She's accused of neglecting her duty to keep the city safe. Kim Gardner posted her resignation letter on Twitter. Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey has been trying to oust her, and a judge has ordered Bailey's claims against Gardner to move forward. Bailey accused Gardner of failing to do her job. He said because of her inaction, thousands of criminal cases were dismissed. In one particular case, a teen lost both her legs in a car crash. It sparked public outcry because the driver accused of causing the crash was an armed robbery suspect who remained free after violating a house arrest order many times. Gardner initially vowed to fight the attempt to remove her from office. In her resignation letter yesterday, she said the decision was motivated by a bill that would make the city attorney a position appointed by the governor rather than elected by the public. And Gardner's resignation is effective June 1st. Meanwhile, the Missouri attorney general says he'll continue to seek her removal until then. And turning to the economy, job growth in the U.S. is beating expectations. This is according to new data out today from the Labor Department. Still, the report comes during troubles in the banking industry. Regional banks are seeing runs on deposits, and investors are sending stock prices tumbling. For more, NTD's Don Ma speaks with a jobs expert. So jobs report today. The U.S. economy added 253,000 jobs last month. Now, this was an increase of around 90,000 jobs compared to the month before. 
Unemployment also ticked down a tenth of a percent at 3.4 now. This is the lowest level for over 50 years. Average hourly earnings also went up 0.5% last month. And here to talk to me about the report is Julia Pollock, chief economist, Zip Recruiter. Now, first things first, how do you feel about today's numbers well above expectations? Well, the labor market is normalizing, it's cooling, but it's doing so at a very controlled and gradual pace. And I think that's very encouraging news for, for everyone. Uh, the labor market continues to defy expectations and even the weakest industries, even the industries that we know should be d suffering right now amid high borrowing costs and business uncertainty, construction, manufacturing, even they are managing somehow to add jobs in this economy. And, you know, on top of the, the number that we got today, unemployment actually ticked down a tenth of a percent. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Right. This is, you know, the lowest unemployment rate in decades. It is a, it's showing how tight the labor market is. I mean, this is a very supply-constrained labor market. I am actually with a bunch of uh, ZipRecruiter customers, employers, and they are seeing no decline in demand for their goods and services. They are hiring, and they just can't fill vacancies quickly enough. All right, just one more thing. And of course, I have to ask about AI. A lot of, you know, a lot of talk about AI displacing jobs. What do you think the impact will be? So there are some announcements uh, in recent weeks that suggest that companies are uh, looking at ways to replace jobs with AI, that some are already doing so. IBM just made a, a pretty stark, uh, startling announcement uh, that they're cutting thousands of jobs and replacing them with AI. Uh, but there's also evidence coming out that AI has some unexpected effects on the labor market. You know, traditionally people expect that it'll make your highest, most educated workers sort of super uh, human and very productive, but replace the jobs of uh, less educated workers. In uh, a recent study that came out of a Fortune 500 company's 5,000 customer support staff, it actually raised productivity the most for the most young, new, and untrained, unskilled workers. Uh, and had allowed them to be as productive as uh, highly skilled, highly trained workers. And so what is exciting about that is that perhaps the constraints that employers see in the labor market, um, perhaps the quality problems they see with candidates are, are not going to be such a barrier anymore. Perhaps they'll be able to hire young, less educated workers and get them up to speed much more quickly. All right, Julia, thanks for the insight today. Pleasure having you on. Take care. Good to talk to you, too. So leading the job gains was in the professional and business services sector with an increase of 43,000. That's followed by healthcare, leisure and hospitality and social assistance. And despite banking industry troubles, jobs in finance increased by 23,000. Looking now at the news in the boating industry, an annual West Coast boat show returns to California. And NTD's David Lamb hears from boating enthusiasts and experts who say San Francisco Bay is seeing growing demand for electric motors. The Pacific Sail and Power Boat Show is back at the West Point Harbor in Redwood City after a four-year hiatus. We have power boats here. We have sailboats of various sizes, catamarans. People love catamarans. There's some charter companies. We have electric boats, state-of-the-art electric uh, applications now. Jim Behan, the show manager, hopes to spread the love for boating to others. He says boaters are starting to electrify their motors. I think you're going to see a lot more people sailing, and also they're transitioning some power boats to putting electric motors in them. Enthusiasts also come to see the newest equipment, sail and power boats. 
Now this is a 300 horsepower diesel engine, a lot quieter than other diesel engines. Also, it consumes about 25% less fuel than gas. Gas and diesel powered engines offer the benefit of range and speed. But those in the industry say there's a growing demand for electric motors in the San Francisco Bay Area than other parts of California. The demand is there. You know, there's a lot of caution, I think, for people because, like cars, there's range anxiety. Um, boats are harder to push through the water with electricity because they don't coast like cars. You really need to push them all the time. For those that love the ocean, this is more than just a hobby. It's what keeps me alive, truly. Um, the older I get, the more I appreciate every moment on the water. In Redwood City, California, David Lamb, NTD News. And that's all for now, but we do love to hear from you, so please reach out via email if you have any thoughts or feedback to share. I'm Stephanie Cox. From all of us here at NTD, take care and have a nice weekend.